Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. It always feels a bit... Always feels a bit mean telling people to talk and then stopping them 30 seconds later. I get it. But it's helpful. It's helpful for me just to kind of um, get myself together. And also helpful when you come into a room where everything's facing the front. You can be fooled into thinking that this is about, this is a, a kind of a, a, like going to the cinema or going to a concert or something that's passive. Whereas actually we are here for Jesus and then for one another. And it's so important that we minister to, serve, encourage, uh, help one another on the journey we've been brought into the family. And doing this vision um, series on the church is so helpful just to just get our minds clear and straight and um, uh, correct on the church. There's so many, um, if I was to say, do a poll, you know, what's the church? I'm sure we would say so many things, um, in this, even in this room, but you go further afield out into the wider society, there's so many ideas about it. What is the church? What isn't the church? In the Bible, you've even got loads of rich illustrations. The church is the household of God. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the temple of God. The church is the new humanity, to, to name a few. And then um, one that we might be thinking about a bit more today is the church is the body of Christ. Um, with Christ as its head. Now I want us to just think about that for a moment. Because what does that speak of? It speaks of a number of things. Think about the relationship between your head and your body. For a moment, let's just take a bit, of a, mo- a, bit, a bit of a moment to do that. It's not something we probably most days stop and think about. Um, because the interconnection is so, is so intimate, it's, uh, the, the relationship between the head and the body, it, it, it's one person. And when you begin to get into the doctrine, the, the, the truth of the church as the body of Christ with Jesus as its head, you get into some deep waters. Like theologically, really, really deep waters because you start to think about this whole idea of union. What does union with Christ mean? There's, there's whole one, one whole side of it opens up when we think about uh, the church as the bride of Christ where we're going to be united with him in a spiritual marriage that will last forever when he returns. That's, that's one way of thinking about the union. It speaks, it speaks of uh, deep covenant. It speaks of commitment. It speaks of fruitfulness. It speaks of devotion. And then when you think about the, the idea of their head and the body, that, that union with Christ, that different things begin to come through. You, th- you think about the idea of kind of a command and obedient expression. You know, my, my, as you guys were talking, I, I thought I want to get that chair from there to here. I, it did, I just did it. It was amazing. Something happened in my mind. I thought I, I want that chair to be here. And then my body just kind of obeyed. <laughs> it wasn't a long drawn out deep moment. Of, it was just, it, it did it because it, this is the command center. This is, this is where, and then, and this is the obedient bit. And the church is the body of Christ. Christ, Christ tells us what to do. And, and, and when, when we're thinking straight, we do it. When we're being who we really are, we do it. Because it's the head and the body. Have you ever thought about the, the it's extraordinary imagery? The, the, the body is able to express the desires, the longings, the will of what goes on. In the head. Wow, think about that. Think about Jesus and the church. 
Also, when you think about the body, the thing that the Bible makes a lot of is this whole idea of un- unity and diversity. That within one body, you've got unity. We're, we're working together here. You know, the arms and the legs, we're working together. The muscles, the tendons, the bones, it's, it's working together. And yet, actually, you can separate it. That's my finger, that's my hand, that's my arm. There's these separate bits, these bits that play a different role. So we've got this rich imagery all throughout the Bible. And when we think about this, it begins to make sense. When you think about the church as the expression of Jesus, if you like, as Jesus' hands and feet, it begins to make sense of Jesus' strategy. He had about three years of public ministry. We know it's about three because throughout the Gospels, three Passover feasts Uh, different ones are spoken about that's how we know it never says Jesus was in ministry for three years but you just you get the rhythm of it as the narrative follows it through before that for the first 30 years of his life we know very very little but I don't know if you know this but in the uh, in the Jewish tradition you you couldn't become a priest till you were 30 and so that age of 30 was significant in terms of like maturity and spiritually it was, it was a landmark. It meant something. Hence Jesus is beginning his public ministry, age 30 and dying around about 33 and a half. He had three and a half years. What would you do if you had three and a half years? You wanted to make the biggest impact that you could. You probably want to travel as far as you could. You probably want to gather the biggest crowds you could. Jesus never travelled further than an area the size of Wales. When the crowds came, Jesus began saying things to them like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. It wasn't the crowd pleaser. There were soon soon just a few disciples left who didn't leave because they had nowhere else to go. They'd left everything and followed him and they knew who he was, but they were like, this isn't the most fun part of the journey right now. We thought we were going to be successful. Look what you've gone and said. Now where's everyone gone? You think, why is this, why, what is going on? Jesus is pouring himself out into those who will be joined to him through faith and empowered by his very spirit that they might be able to go as his hands and feet and express his will, his purpose, his presence, his likeness to the nations of the world. It's a church. You see, you begin to understand why he invested so much time in these very ordinary people who, who numbered, you know, probably maybe in, in the hundreds, the disciples, and an inner circle of 12 and then three. You begin to oh, I get it now, I understand it now. So as we're thinking about the church, you see, there's one, there is therefore one church because there's one Jesus and he's got one body, right? So how many churches are there? Yeah, it wasn't a trick question. All right, one head, one body. So there's one church that spans the ages and that spans the nations. In once, when Jesus marries the church at the end of all time, it's Jesus marrying one body of people. There is only one church. It's really important we understand that. But then as you read the New Testament, you begin to notice some other things as well. Like when, when, when Paul, for example, writes to the Roman church, the church in Ephesus, the Corinthian church, He doesn't relate to the Corinthian church as a toenail. The Roman church as an elbow. The church in Ephesus as an, uh, what should we go for? Thumb. He doesn't do that. He says to them, you're the body of Christ. And so you realise, okay, how does this thing work? Even though there's one body, the way the thing works is is that the, the one body of Christ is set up in local congregations which serve as a microcosm of the body of Christ. 
And so in each local church, you're looking for a diversity of gifting. You're looking for those who can play the spiritual equivalent of the elbow, of the, of the hand, of the feet. You're looking for a diversity of gifts and a diversity of people. That is the way the one body is set up. If you like, if you imagine one huge body of Christ, but within it, you've got lots of little bod- whole bodies set up in local congregations. Now, we, you might be thinking, where are we going today? We'll get there in a minute. What's this got to do with the vision of the church? We'll get there in a minute. If you don't understand the theology, the doctrine, the big picture behind it, then you just become pragmatists. Oh, that's how we do it. No one knows why. Oh, we're doing an offering. Yeah, I don't know why. We just do this every few years. Fine. I don't know. It's just what they do. It's all there. It's, yeah, they just talk about going to prayer meetings and we go along. No, 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 no. The Lord wants us to understand. Because when you get it, you go, ah, now I see. Or if it's now I understand what it is about so before we get into the meat of the vision today two things number one a healthy christian recognizes that they are part of the worldwide body of christ they recognize that i'm part of something much bigger i'm part of something that spans the ages and spans the nations and so and so we'll benefit from christian authors from hundreds of years ago that have written books well these are my people or when you're traveling, maybe you travel somewhere and you visit a church or you, you bump into someone else who's, who's a believer, a genuine believer and in your heart. You go, we just, we, we, oh, we're about the same thing. We connect. You pray and you're in. Why? Because you've got the same spirit, the spirit of Jesus living in you. So the, a healthy Christian recognizes I'm part of the worldwide body of Christ that spans the ages and spans the globe. But also a healthy Christian will be committed to a local expression. You say, some Christians you say, what church are you part of? And they say, I'm part of the worldwide body of Christ. It's always a problem. That moment, you know you've got a problem on your hands. Because really what that per- person is saying is, I will not be committed to one church. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they've been let down by irresponsible leadership. Maybe they're just afraid of commitment per se. Who knows? But they avoid that. Whereas actually to be a member of the body of Christ involves that sense of being part of this thing, this huge thing that spans the ages and the nations. But it also goes, I work it out day to day by being committed to this body of people. That's how I work out what it means to be part of the body of Christ. You see, Likewise, a healthy church will, will be concerned with its own, how are we doing? Are we doing well? Not for selfish gain, but because we want to glorify the Lord. We want to be in good shape so we can be an effective witness to those around us. We want to build ourselves up in love so that we can become ready for the day when we're going to meet Jesus, right? So we're committed to the local church. But not only that, we recognize as a, as a local church, we're part of the worldwide body of Christ. We care about, we care about. As a church, corporately, we carry in our heart the cause of Christ. We carry in our heart the, 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 the gospel going forward and, cha- and seeing people's lives changed by the multitudes, don't we? It matters to us. But when you get born again, that stuff starts to matter to you. You think, why do I, you know, I never used to care about the gospel. I got born again, the gospel broke into my life and then it's not just okay that I know, I need other people to know. Why? Because they simply have to know what I've discovered. It's not okay that people don't know forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. It's not okay that people don't know they can be reconciled and have a real relationship with God. That's not okay. It's not okay that people can go through life not knowing the meaning of life. And the Bible says all things were made for him, which means the meaning of life is a person called Jesus. 
It's not all right that people can go through life literally just thinking that it's just you just do stuff. And that's no, 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 there's something transcendent, something eternal. We are built for purpose, we are built for meaning. And as a church, part of our raison d'etre is that we are here to see the name of Jesus propelled to the ends of the earth so that people can find him and that their chaos can be turned to order, their lostness can be turned to foundness, their broken heart can be bound up, their heavy conscience can be forgiven, they can be reconciled to God. It drives us, it moves us, it motivates us. It's, that's the new heart. When you're born again, you get a new heart by the Holy Spirit, which beats for the things that God's own heart beats for. It's the miracle of being born again. It's a wonder and it's a glory. So the main ways we, today, we're looking at the part of our vision, which is to resource and bless the wider body of Christ. Hopefully now you're beginning to see why it's so important. Part of that is planting churches. We're going to look at that in the next few weeks. But today I want to think about what does it look like to strengthen churches? To strengthen the body of Christ out of what God has given us. We're going to look at some of the most unusual passages of scripture. Probably ones you've never heard preached on. Who likes Ephesians? A voice of someone who's never read it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 to 22. How do we resource the wider body of Christ? I want to show you how they did it in the Bible. How do we resource the wider body of Christ? I hear you ask. I knew you was asking that question. Verses 21 and 22. Listen to Paul writing to the Ephesians. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus... The beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Number one, we send people. Paul sent Tychicus. You probably never heard a sermon on Tychicus. Good man by all accounts. Paul's saying, look, we're connected. And part of being connected to other congregations, part of being a, a, a part of an apostolic family of churches is that we care about how one another's doing. We want to make sure one another's doing well. How we're doing, how we're getting on, what's been going on with us. He says, I'm going to send people to you. I'm going to send, and here in this case, it's Tychicus. Living in a city, there's a lot of people flow, isn't there? A lot of people in and a lot of people out. can be painful at times, can be costly at times because we invest in one another's lives and then very often people have gone and they've gone and they've gone. I want to put it to you that it is worth it. It is worth investing in people no matter how long or short they're around for because when they go, they go and they join another church and they enrich that church with what you've put in them. The main purpose of our being is not to make friends. It's to introduce people to Jesus and help them grow in him. As we do that, we will become dear friends of people because we pour out our lives and our souls. But me and my own desire for friends is not the end goal. There's something bigger than that. 
And as a result, there's a generosity that we have in terms of sending people. Whether it's, whether it's really intentional, like people we prepare and kind of nurture and send to plant a church and then keep supporting it. Or whether it's someone who comes through, they're here for a while, they're blessed, they're built up, they're encouraged, they're part of the body. And then they, they, they go. We don't even maybe even know quite where they've gone, but they take with them the good stuff that got put in them while they were here. That is part of our eternal reward. That's, that's, the, that's part of the crowns we're going to get. That's the stuff. That's part of the well done, good and faithful servant. That counts in eternity. This stuff is ever so important. So we send people. It's so important that we, we, we build, we let the Lord help us to build uh, a, a, a resilience and a grace to be able to invest in those who may not be around for the long haul. So it's something you have to learn. You have to walk through it and learn and the Lord will grow you and strengthen you and enlarge you for it. And, and the energy to continue building new friendships. It's, it's tiring. We're human. It's tiring. So we need to work out what's going to motivate me here. We need to see something bigger, more glorious. Or you go, there is, there's, there's, a, there's a song. You know, there's an eternal song. There's things. There's th- you know, when the Lord speaks things, they, 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 it, it brings them to life. When you face Jesus at the end and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, that's going to resound through eternity. When, he, when, we, when we stand before him as a church, as a local church, he says, Rev, well done, good and faithful servant. We're going to go, that was all worth it, every little bit of it. Every little bit of it was completely worth it. Not only this, we send people to speak at conferences. We, we visit people. We had the joy of um, meeting Dear Hazer over in uh, Cyprus in December to go and spend some time strengthening the church that Dean and Donna and the family have planted last year. It's, it's, it's New Testament stuff. So many of you here who have made friends with people that have been here and gone, you continue to go and visit them. You have great time together. You see where they're living now. But I bet you also you pray together. What's God doing? You're building one another up. You might not have been sent, but you've been sent. You've been sent. You go in the power of the Holy Spirit. You take the presence of Jesus with you. You build one another up. You give out of who you are. It's a bit your resource in the wider body of Christ. Hallelujah. That's one way you can resource the wider body of Christ. Now let's go to the end of Philippians. At the end of the epistles, you get these greetings and these things that you might think, I will just skim over that. You will gain more of an understanding of the culture of the early church in those latter verses than you will in the doctrinal passages. The feel, the atmosphere of the early church. Let's go to Philippians 4 and we're going to go from verse 14. It was kind of you to share my trouble. He's talking about financially. He says, I've learned how to be content. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ. Jesus here, another way we resource the wider body of Christ is through giving financially. We did a special offering in November. Who remembers that? Wasn't it great? One of the highlights of, my, of, the, of the autumn term for me was that Sunday where we did the special offering. What a joy it was to be able to give grands, thousands to the guys in Korea, to the guys in Cyprus, and to the guys in Poland. And Kev, Kev and Emma, you know they were with us in the early years of Rev, went out to plant 
uh, church in Poland. Um, and now they're, they're literally serving, I think, about 30 different leaders in different post-communist nations. They call it LHC, the Lighthouse Community. And they're serving um, uh, people that are leading in the most straight and difficult conditions you could imagine. I mean, all you've got to do is look at the news in Ukraine, for example. They've got people in Ukraine. All around them, in these these Baltic states and post-communist nations where there's poverty, the likes of which most of us have never experienced. He he says, um, he gave a report of what they've been doing with some of the money. Just to encourage you, we're using 1,800 of the euros is allocated to to gather eight Lighthouse community um, leaders plus three uh, Ephesians 4 ministries like apostles and evangelists, prophets together for a weekend of fellowship, teaching and ministry with the aim of fostering and drawing out those who carry a translocal calling for their nation. So they're gathering people together, using money to do that, and they're training up people who will go back to their nations and will plant churches all across their nation. That's from the offering that we gave here. And then we've got... um, 2,200 euros allocated to a weekend where a wider gathering of all Lighthouse community people and is our shop front to new people. Our principle is that everyone pays, but if you're from within a Lighthouse community nation, which are much poorer, we subsidise food and accommodation. Everyone else pays the full costs. And then we're also, the rest of it is going towards helping uh, Kev. He was a school teacher for years. He's now working um, full-time. Um, uh, in, in ministry and three days on Lighthouse Community is going to support him in that. that we did that okay? so you're touching the nations as you give into that offering okay? it's part of our reward okay? Just, we're doing it it's wonderful, it's a beautiful thing finances, and then there's another way let's read um, the end of Colossians another way that you, you resource the wider body of Christ Colossians 4 verse 10 says this There's a a couple of things in here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So these are letters letters written from prison. okay? Because a a lot of the early Christians were imprisoned for their faith. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They've been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness, he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. He's saying that we're praying for you. Another way we resource the wider body of Christ is we pray for those beyond our own circle. We pray for those who are pioneering here and are pioneering there. When we pray on Tuesday mornings, when we gather for our half nights of prayers for enough, we are resourcing the wider body of Christ by taking our energy before the throne of God and our faith and appealing to God for their blessing. Like Epaphras here. I love it. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured. It's wonderful. This is the heart of the kingdom. It's what we're about. We care. It matters to us that they flourish and do well. And then there's more though. Listen to this. Um, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. Obviously, Archippus was a little bit on the back foot. Okay, See you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. I want to suggest to you that another way resource the wider body of Christ is through content. 
Paul's saying, I'm, I'm sending you this letter, pass it on to the guys in Laodicea, and the letter I wrote to them, get that off them and read it among you. Sermons and content. That's another way that we do that. Listen to an email we received uh, in the office a little while back. It says, um, Good morning. I just wanted to write to all the team at Rev to say thank you and to encourage you in all you're doing. I live in Salisbury. Uh, and my husband, my family and I are part of Grace Church there. I contracted COVID in August and unfortunately recovery has been very slow. I'm still off work. I'm a secondary teacher. I haven't left the house for nearly five months. As you know, God is good and he uses these times in his own way. I've been listening to your sermons online since September. Wednesdays I go to Rev. I've found them such a blessing. I'm sure God is having a giggle as, as at Grace Church we were about to start a series on James. I obviously need to hear it again. I've been encouraged through a mixture of all I've heard to view my new mission field as my lounge. I may not be able to go elsewhere, but I can invite people here. I can't be part of the youth team, but I can still send a card to those I mentor. I can't be part of the worship team, but I can still worship and pray. I can still serve our amazing God. Now I can have a conversation again for more than 10 minutes. I've been reaching out to my neighbours and friends. God has put people on my heart to text and invite for coffee. And in each case so far, there's been something challenging going on in their lives. One neighbour, not a Christian, who only recently moved in, told me that no one had ever invited her for coffee. Ever. So thank you for your commitment, encouragement and your passion to serve God. I'm praying for you all. How cool is that? We're here, we are doing James, all getting bashed around the face by James week on week in here, last term. And others are getting bashed up too. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's wonderful. We just... Got to get bigger vision so we can go, no, this is so worth it. And I want to just commend you all. You're a great church. And there are unique pressures living here. And unique things that we walk through. And there's things that cause pain and difficulty. I know. Um, And sometimes you think, can I go again? And you have to seriously ask yourself. I understand. Um, And certainly no one's going to. Beat you over a stick to do so. We don't need to do that. But today, it's just good to, to, to see again the way the Lord can use our bits of fish and bread that we put in his hands and use, use wider afield, use further afield. I want to finish with just one scripture and then I want to spend some time just praying for those who, one way or another, through your, through your time here, you, you felt the reality of what it means. To give, to send, to go, to bless, to pour out. Just, I just think it would be a wonderful opportunity this morning just to be able to pray for you. There may be some of you among us that are very new. You know, you haven't walked through it that you're thinking, <gasps> yikes, what's ahead? It's exciting. It's a bit, bit tough sometimes, but it's exciting. You can, you can pray for us. You can pray for us because some of us just need a bit of prayer. Okay, because we, 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 the Bible says we've got this treasure, but it's in jars of clay, which means we, we, feel, we feel the knocks. That's what it means. It means that we, we haven't got it all together. It means we're just we're human. And there's, there's weakness that we, that we struggle with. But this has been my verse for 2022 so far. Forgive me if you've heard me do this in other settings, but it's been such an encouragement to my own soul. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that, listen to this, so that having all sufficiency 
in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's a wonderful verse. God is able. When he says God is able to make all grace abound to you, it's not talking about a theory. Oh, by the way, he's got the power to do that. It's talking about it's a promise. It's a promise. He's saying this is what he wants to do. Otherwise, it's just carrot dangling. That's not the way our God works. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency, say all sufficiency. In all things, say all things. At all times, say all times. You may abound in every good work. Say every good work. God gives us an abundance so that we can walk in our destiny. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for them. And the Bible says that God has saved the people that he wants to be zealous for good works. And everything I've spoken about today is good works. It's, it's things God has prepared in advance for us that will yield an eternal reward and that will have an eternal impact in people's lives. The promise here is that there is grace. Not just a bit of grace. God is able to make all grace abound. That word there is, it is what it is. It is what it says. It's abundant. So we get our word abundant from. He's got abundant grace for you today. So that you can have all sufficiency in all things and at all times. So that the good works that you know he's put in your heart to do, you know that he's laid out for us as a church. You say, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can go again. Yeah, I can keep running. But some of us need to be built up and blessed and um, helped by others of us in the body of Christ today. And if you know, yeah, do you know what? I would just love, I'd love to feel a hand on my shoulder. I'd love to feel a hand in my hand. I'd love to feel a hand on my arm. Just someone praying God's supply, God's blessing, God's grace on me today. Then I would like you to maybe just respond by, I don't know what the easiest way to do it really, but maybe just just lift your hands. Say, yeah, I want to, and just lift your hands and, and look to the Lord. You know, you're just, in your, in your God-given, in your new heart, you want to abandon every good work. But you're aware of your weakness. You're aware. You're aware of just the reality of, of uh, you need a fresh supply of grace today. So if you lift your hands and then, as you do that, just, let's just stay in a place of prayerful looking to the Lord. As we was singing earlier, there was one of the... Um, Songs we sung, and the line in it was, uh, Satan stands in disbelief. Death becomes its own defeat. Satan stands in disbelief. And uh, it just felt, it's one of those moments where, you know, sometimes a line just stands out. You think, oh, something the Lord really wants to minister to us. That there are, def- the truth is, is that there are moments in our lives where the enemy means certain things for evil, but God turns them for good. You find it time and time again in the Bible. Joseph says it to his brothers who betrayed him into captivity. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. It's extraordinary. He got, he got sold into slavery and sent there and spent years in prison. And he says, he says to them, God sent me here. He's, he's understanding that he could see God's redemptive hand in his circumstance. And I just feel the Lord really wants to minister to certain people today. In situations you go, what was that? Like, what was that? And there's so much room in that situation. So much room for anger or bitterness or discouragement or confusion or unbelief there's just so much it's just the reality I've been through it I understand I understand there's so much there's such a vulnerability that comes and I felt like the, just the, the Lord wants to give assurance 
to some of you guys today that um, what the enemy meant for harm through that, God intends for good. God will turn for good and the enemy will stand in disbelief and go, what, how? How did that come out of that? Because that's what the cross does. It looks like a defeat. It looks, you know, the disciples thought, well, that's the end of that. And then suddenly he's out, he's out of the tomb. That's how it works. And I feel the Lord really wants to give assurance of that. And uh, I want to pray, Lord. I want to pray that every attempt, every attempt of the enemy, Lord, to rob, to steal, to destroy, Lord, will be completely unraveled, undone, because the Bible says the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil, will be destroyed and unraveled, come to nothing. And I want to pray for the most extraordinary turnaround. Like, you just go, only God could have done that. That this would be a church full of testimonies where you say, only God could have done that. It's beyond just what could have, anything that could have happened naturally. But it's, we, we waited, we waited, we held on. We kept trying, we just hang on, hang, on, hang in there. Yeah. And God turned it around. Yeah. Not we didn't turn it, God just did it. And I want to pray for that across the board. And I pray for the protection of hearts and minds while people are walking through that season. And that they would, they would get to see the salvation of the Lord in this situation and the redeeming hand of the Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <laughs> okay. We're just, just going to read to you from Exodus 34 as well. Davina just felt this thing of when God uh, hides Moses in the rock. And then we'll, we'll, we'll be done then. But uh, 30, 34, what verses it loved? The bit that I... That I Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. So he hides Moses in the rock. And then he says, um, Please show me your glory. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then he hides him in this cleft of the rock and his glory passes by and there is this declaration, there is this proclamation, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So he's a God of justice. But he will make make all things right. So just just receive that in our heart. Just let the Lord minister that to you. Let him hide you in the cleft of the rock and declare his glory, his kindness, his steadfastness, his mercy, his graciousness over over our souls today. Give room. Give room for his movement, his voice, his healing. Let it come. Let it come. So Lord, we honour you. And I pray for us as a church. Lord, that there would be a season almost of, of, of hiddenness, of profound time with you, where you just take things somewhere we, never could have, we could never have manufactured, we could never have manipulated, we could never have engineered. You do something extraordinary. And Lord, I'm praying and I'm asking you for that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Father. Because you've made us such promises. And so, Lord, I dare to be bold enough before your throne, on behalf of the church, to ask you for the most extraordinary turnarounds, provisions, breakthroughs, victories. For your glory, Lord, and for our good. Amen. Amen.